Daikaiju Network podcast, episode 135. I am your co-host, Kent. I'm wearing no pants. And with <laughs> Jason, me, what's up, everyone? And I am indeed wearing pants. <laughs> I am too, but I just thought I'd wake anybody up who's asleep at the wheel. Um, today, we will be discussing Dragon Wars. Uh, but before we get into that, a little bit of housekeeping. After today's episode, we are going to change things up for a little yep. while here. What we're going to do is instead of doing commentaries and doing these regular movie discussions, what we're going to be doing is our Toku Zone. Uh, anybody who's been listening to Series us long Premier, enough or has gone way. back and listened. Yes, anybody who has listened to some of our uh, previous episodes from maybe a few years back uh, will know that we used to have a sub segment uh, called Toku Zone where. In the past, what we did is we covered uh, several episodes at a time of the original Ultraman, and then we also did uh, Iron King. What we decided to do is to sort of take a break from the regular movie discussion, movie commentaries, and we're going to move into an actual show, Tokuzone, for a while. And uh, we still haven't finalized how many episodes of the show we're going to do per episode, but the first series that we're going to cover is Johnny Sacco and his flying robot. Mm -hmm. So uh, we kind of figured roughly, uh, depending upon, again, how many episodes we decide to do per show, this is a project that will take anywhere between eight to nine months to do. So, uh, And that's assuming we do two podcasts uh, a month like we typically do. So that's what uh, we're looking to do uh, starting – a couple of weeks from now, today, what yep, is the today, eighth. the 8th? So, like, the, roughly the 22nd, uh, we're going to start covering Johnny Sacco and his flying robot. And so, what you can expect from Toku Zone is not only eight to nine months of coverage of that show, but starting off in the inaugural episode of not just Toku Zone, but of the Johnny Sacco series, uh, we're going to cover a couple of episodes of the show. And then we're also going to try to do the best we can to give sort of a history of the show to kind of introduce it to anybody and for fun and educational purposes. Um, And then after that first episode, it will strictly be just covering, you know, X amount of episodes that we decide to cover, which will be anywhere between three to four episodes uh, of that series going forward. So for a while we're going to cover that and then kind of once we get close to the end of covering johnny sacco uh we will just kind of reassess everything and figure out excuse me do we want to continue toku zone for a while with a different series or do we want to come back and do some commentaries movies i'm going to guess we're going to do commentaries and movies because it will have been a while but we'll just kind of reassess everything and let everybody know when the time comes and uh we'll just not cover uh johnny sacco's flying robot exclusively on toku zone we'll also be covering other uh news bits here and there on other series relating to Ultraman, even Kamen Rider, and possibly some of the others uh, coming from Japan as well. And depending upon how things go with Godzilla vs. Kong, um, we may, if that were to be released at some point, let's say later this year, early next year, while we're doing Tokuzone, we will stop Tokuzone for at least one show, and we will cover that film. So, we're just going to kind of 
other than the possibility of of anything happening with Godzilla versus Kong, we're going to kind of leave Kaiju aside, at least with the podcast here for a while, and just dive in to Johnny Sacco and his flying robot. And then at some point when we come back to the Toku Zone, uh, we'll cover a different series. What that is, we don't know because, you know, like I said, this is going to take eight to nine months anyways, and we'll probably after that do some more discussions and commentaries right. for a while. So we'll just kind of assess things and, and mm-hmm. see how they go. And uh, before we get to the uh, meat and potatoes of everything, I just uh, want to uh, mention that we are on these uh, following streaming and podcast uh, networks as far as streaming. Obviously, YouTube, Twitch. Facebook Live, Periscope, and DLive, and on the podcast uh, networks, uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Google Play, iHeartRadio, Spotify, uh, and TuneIn. And you can also follow us and uh, like and subscribe to the following social media networks that we are on. as you can see on the screen there, just search for Daikaiju Network. And we've got our own website uh, over at daikaijunetwork.com. And anywhere where you download the podcast where necessary, please um, rate and review more specifically our podcast, please. Five stars is what we would appreciate because um, uh, that makes us more visible. The more uh, reviews we get, but also the more uh, five-ish uh, star reviews that we get makes us more visible. And we're counting on all of our listeners and, to do And that, on so. uh, YouTube, if uh, after you subscribe to us, make sure to hit that notification bell icon. And I know there's a few options. Don't hit the uh, personalized option. Do the all notifications. So if you want to know what we're doing or when we're live on YouTube, then you'll at least get a notification through there. All right. And with that, are we ready to move in uh, to Dragon yeah. Wars? Let's do it. All right. So we are covering Dragon Wars D-War. Talk about a <laughs> redundant title. Um, <laughs> uh, before we get into a little bit of discussion, I just want to give a, a bit of like release history and stuff with this film. Uh, I found some conflicting information, so I'm going to do the best I can to report the most accurate findings. Uh, okay. So Dragon Wars was released in the United States on September 14th of 2007. The budget was approximately $32 million, and it made nearly $1 million in the U.S. and over $75 million worldwide. Director Shim Hyung-rae – hopefully I pronounced that correctly uh, – what, he directed the 1999-2001 Yongari, a wonderful <laughs> film. Uh, <laughs> the film was supposed to be a sequel originally to Yongari, but of course things changed during uh, pre-production and, and all that. The original runtime was between 100, 710 minutes. I got conflicting reports on that, so that's why I said between. Between 100 710 minutes, but it was cut back due to preview screenings giving feedback that the pace of the film needed to be addressed. However, it appears the original runtime was preserved for the European market. 
and a sequel, uh, last I looked, has been in limbo for roughly four years now. So there's a little bit of I information. I never knew that there was a sequel in plans. And uh, a nice little – I didn't either until re- And uh, a little this. nice uh, tidbit about this is that this is the first time I've actually watched a movie since it was released in theaters <laughs> 13 years ago. <laughs> Ditto. However – when I watched it in 2007, I watched it via other ones. Well, well, when I was uh, <laughs> visiting our parents at the time when they just moved to their uh, current house uh, right around that same year, and I went to go see that at the, the local theater, which was surprising that uh, a small town in, in Iowa, even though about the size of probably more than 10,000 or so, I was – I was really About surprised that they were able to uh, show this film in their theaters there. But when I got there, there was it was just all me, <laughs> all me there. But which which is why the film only made eleven yeah, million but in the at, US. At least it's. It, it's like when you're by yourself in a theater, probably about that size or maybe even bigger. It's it's sort of fun to say the least. I've never had that experience. I've, I've come close. I've had on it a few at occasions. least twice, which which was this one <laughs> and the uh, Russell Crowe Robin Hood movie. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, with me, uh, this also is the second time I have viewed this film since it was released. I remember. Um, when I did see it, I was not impressed with it, and in fact, I, I disliked it. I didn't hate it, but I just disliked it. I was, I was and over the years, I've heard uh, people defending it and all that, and but I kept going back to my memory, going, ah, it wasn't it was that a great. It wasn't that great. Yeah, and I remember watching it like um, some of the. Um, moments in the movie that happened uh, early in the film were some of the scenes that they used for the trailer and I remember being sort of disappointed uh, how some of those scenes turned out um, for example the flashback of a flashback oh, yeah. uh, going back to feudal <laughs> Korea uh, there was a scene where Boraki the evil Imugi or serpent uh, is chasing Harum and Narin uh, the the male and female protagonist um, uh, in that flashback over a cliff and I thought that was actually going to be part of the movie given the trailer and when I saw it was earlier in the film I'm like well damn it this is probably going to end up being a film I don't want to watch and I remember walking away feeling underwhelmed mm-hmm. by it I, I was not impressed by it like I said I didn't hate it I just I was disappointed but at the same time not too shocked that I was disappointed given the fact that more or less it's a beef and the one so, thing that um, uh, yeah. after watching this for the first time in 13 years I completely forgot that there were at least a good decent amount of familiar faces within this film that were a I was part bring of this that up in the review. Uh, like uh, uh, Craig Robinson who's famous for being in movies like in Hot Tub Time Machine or the show The Office, Office. and then uh, Retta who's the also a receptionist in the Parks and Recreation TV show and I yeah and great. then um, there was there One. was another guy 
I think it's an FBI gal or something. She was the secretary for I forget the actor's name. He played Josh Lyman in and, the West Wing, but she and then was in got, the West uh, Wing. John Ailes, who plays as uh, Agent Judah Campbell, um, and then yep. uh, was it uh, Jeff Pearson, who's also made appearances in uh, shows such as uh, Dexter. You might have uh, seen him before, but yeah, there there were at least quite a bit quite a handful of uh, familiar faces which i was surprised i totally forgot that they were in this film well the zook yeah that guy and um, and him he's in the current show bob hart's abishola he was in mike and molly also made occasional appearances in um king he was in uh, the show mike and molly who he was the main star of that show Mike and Molly. Yep. Yeah, I, I yep. forget what was yeah, his, what was his uh, name here again. Um, I'm guessing uh, – I'm not seeing it here right now, but yeah, I've also – that guy looked familiar to you. Yeah, since you brought it up, I wasn't going to bring it up until we got into the review. But yeah, I was excuse me, pleasantly surprised as to how many familiar – Hollywood actors were in this. And, you know, I, I mean, for both of us, it's been mm-hmm. 13 years, so obviously we're going to forget yeah. a lot of stuff. And obviously it, it did not make any sort of impression on us because we really didn't uh, – you know, we didn't remember a whole lot of stuff. It was just like so, it was just like a one know, and done. Never saw it again until 13 years later. <laughs> exactly. So I mean. Um, yeah, it was it was a pleasant surprise to, um, you know, see so many familiar faces because during these last thirteen years, there have been a number of those shows that I have watched. Like uh, my wife and I, year and a half, two years ago, went through the series Parks and Recs uh, on Netflix. So yeah, like that one gal you were talking about, I looked at her. I'm like, she looks like she could be that receptionist, but I wasn't mm-hmm. sure. So I just kind of let it be. But um, but yeah, it was a pleasant surprise. I'm like, holy smokes, this South Korean f- B monster movie, action adventure you know, fantasy uh, film, uh, <laughs> as a action adventure monster fantasy sci fi drama, blow them up, shoot them up. <laughs> In your face, sort of film. <laughs> so I had everything. I had all these actors, and at the time too, when this film was being produced, it was the most expensive South Korean film uh, mm-hmm. produced at the time, and and it's been since eclipsed by what I don't know, but I think uh, over the years, yeah. uh, probably the most well-known thing that still had me tied to this film was uh, the composer Steve Jablonski who's uh, I would say mostly known for doing the the Transformers live action franchise uh, scores he also composed for this film and I would say uh, he did I would say he uh, before we get into this that I think he did a terrific job with this and even doing I would say the most uh, famous uh, Korean song Ariane. I think that's how you pronounce it. But yeah, it's it's like one of those like a really big song over there, and I think he really did a good job with that one. Yeah, it's amazing that this monster movie production, uh, you know, got the talent mm-hmm. that it did. I mean, 
you know, a, a budget of roughly yeah, that's amazing. million <laughs> and you were able to get some of these people. Yeah. And, and even the composer, I didn't even know about Jablonski. Um, yeah, I mean, that's – I'm still – kind of blown away by all this i'm just like holy shit like this south korean b monster movie was able to get these people like it's just so crazy And, and part of it is not only just because of the budget but also the fact like you go up to someone hey i'm from south korea we're not really well known for our films i made a really bad monster movie back in 99 slash 2001 called Yonkery. It looks like a sci-fi channel type of production, but you know what? Will you be in my next film about serpents and dragons? <laughs> it's just, it's incredible. I'm so amazed at, at the fact that these people are part of this film. It's just, mm-hmm. it's incredible. So did we want to get into synopsis and then uh, the rest uh, of the review? Yeah, let's Get right to it. All right, here's a synopsis of the film. Ethan Kendrick is a news anchor, or should I say a news reporter, given a medallion by Jack, a mysterious antique dealer, will aid him in protecting Sarah Daniels. Sarah is the Yuyi Yuyi Ju, excuse me, a person able to use her life spirit to an emugi, a serpent, and that life spirit will turn the emugi that consumes it into an all-powerful celestial dragon. You see, every 500 years, the Aatrox army is on the hunt for the UGU. Uh, oh, I keep Yuyiju in order to use that life spirit to turn their evil Mugi Baraki into a celestial dragon. The previous lives of Ethan and Sarah were reborn within them. The previous individuals' names were Haram and Naran from feudal Korea. The Aatrox general uses Baraki to hunt down Sarah in present-day Los Angeles, but after a while summons his army from Jack's antique shop. Los Angeles is under attack from the Aatrox army and Baraki, but Ethan and Sarah escape. However, they're eventually captured by the Aatrox, where they're taken to some barren location where Sarah is about to be sacrificed to Baraki. Ethan's medallion somehow destroys the entire Aatrox army, and during a sword fight, the Aatrox general coincidentally strikes the medallion, vaporizing himself. Dumbass. A good Emuki <laughs> appears and does battle with Baraki, but is overpowered. Sarah sends her life spirit to the Goody Mugi, where it turns into a celestial dragon and battles Baraki. After a tussle, the dragon shoots a fireball into Baraki, incinerating it. Sarah's soul appears, telling Ethan she'll always love him and will be waiting for him. Jack also appears behind Ethan, telling him that they were given a great honor in the transformation. Ethan tells both of them goodbye, and the movie comes to a close. Okay, um, for me, in terms of how I'm going to review this, I have a laundry list eventually here (laughs) of a bunch of questions that I think will help lead part of this discussion. However, I will start with this. You know your story is – why did I write that? That's a typo. (laughs) Oh, no, I didn't. I didn't write that wrong. You know your story is done all wrong. When you have a flashback within a flashback. (laughs) So early in the film, we get Ethan after he finds this scale of an Emugi, which I think is Baraki, right? 
I would believe so because I mean the movie the movie the movie starts out with uh, parts of uh, L.A. in ruins there for some strange reason. I thought it was a uh, a flashback at first, but no, it was it was like present <laughs> right then and there. And we're never given an explanation, yeah. but. Um, Shortly, like within a few minutes after that, he thinks back to when he meets Jack in this antique shop somewhere in L.A. And then Jack tells, no joke, roughly a 15-minute story of the Amugi and how every 500 years, you know, Baraki and supposedly a good Amugi appear. They're supposed to battle. Um and what we're given is this feudal Korea story about Harem and Narum. Mm-hmm. And Naren is the female. She is being hunted down by the Aatrox army because she has a special dragon tattoo on her left shoulder. And she uh, is the one with the life spirit that whoever consumes it, whether it's the Batimugi Baraki uh, or the Gudimugi, uh, that particular Imugi – slash serpent uh, gets the power and becomes a celestial dragon. The baddie moogie slash dragon will destroy the earth should it consume that spirit or the goody moogie should it gets it and become a celestial dragon will become a protector of the universe. Um, so that's kind of the whole point there. And Harem is sort of – I don't know if he's actually betrothed to Naren, but he actually you know, has a thing for her obviously. Mm-hmm. And they barely escape Baraki, and I think they die falling off that cliff if I'm not yeah, mistaken. Yeah, basically right? it's what it alludes to and after uh, when that flashback ends and goes back to Jack, they're in that flashback um, that uh, he – mentions about them dying and then now uh, Naram and Harem are on Earth again, giving them a second chance to sort of redeem themselves and getting the goody moogie uh, uh, the powers to become a celestial dragon. Yeah. And so during this flashback, honestly, the story of Harem and Nero is the sort of story I would rather have seen than the story we actually got. Because I thought the acting during that flashback was better, and I thought the scenery was more beautiful. And it reminded me an awful lot of The Magic Serpent. A, a movie little bit, yeah. I wouldn't have minded seeing redone, but of course that movie was a Japanese production. You could maybe Korean. sort of say that this is somewhat of a remake of The Magic Serpent. <laughs> It's Magic Serpent in the present day slash light. Yeah. (laughs) But no frog this time. No frog, no spider, no giant hawk or eagle. Just dragons slash serpents. Uh, I have to say, though, too, before I forget, unlike Yonguri, which uh, for all intents and purposes is laughably bad – the effects work for this film is still really good, quite honestly. It's not perfect, but it's still really good. Like even 13 years later, uh, for a South Korean production, it's actually pretty 
good. Was, it's it's better than even some major motion I was going to say, like, as far as a lot of the destruction scenes with the buildings crumbling and some of the other things, too, that they still hold up pretty well after these 13 years. Although there, there are at least a few instances here and there which it didn't age quite well. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But even then, like... When you and I first saw Yongri on Sci-Fi Channel, like 2001, 2002, somewhere mm-hmm. in there, um, even then, that movie not only looked terrible, but the effects looked awful slash dated. Like something that came That's out. That's not so much the case here. Something that would, that would have been made by the uh, the Asylum <laughs> studio. <laughs> oh, it was? No, it, it, would, it looked like it would have. <laughs> Oh, because I knew Asylum, they made... They always um, make those rip-off movies. Atlantic Rim, and yeah, like they do these B-one-offs or whatever of films that sort of are carbon copies of better produced films like Pacific. Just try to get the the moolah from when those uh, mainline movies come out, basically. Yeah, they're they're awful. Don't bother with yeah. them. Never going to cover them on here unless we're very desperate for content. <laughs> I guess I've learned in my life to never say never. <laughs> well, we've we've reviewed bad movies here and there, but <laughs> I don't know if anything's going to be as bad as those. And yeah. also, you probably remember these Craw and Zargor. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I know we've made some mentions about it in the past, but <laughs> yeah. That's like if push comes to shove, <laughs> that'll get covered on here. <laughs> but we got plenty of content to keep us busy for probably another 10 years at yeah. least. <laughs> but um, yeah, I'm, I'm still very pleasantly surprised as to how good those effects um, hold up. Um, so did you want to go on – did you want to mention anything before we go on to my questions? Because here's what I was thinking about with my questions. I got quite a few of them here. Let me see. I got – I wrote down 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11 questions. And I thought maybe what we would do is I would raise those questions that we try to go point by point discussing slash trying maybe to answer. Well, um, let's just sort of go through some of the basics here. Um, as far as the characters in this, and I know we mentioned about this before going into the synopsis of the film, that both of us completely forgot that there were at least a a good handful of familiar faces within this film. And I think uh, for the most part that they've done a pretty good job at what they were trying to do uh, in this film. And then as far as the main characters or the protagonist, um, Jason Bear, who plays as the adult Ethan Kendrick, and then Amanda Brooks, who is uh, Sarah Daniels within this and the holder of the uh, Yo Yi Ju. Um, I think they did a decent job within their own rights. It's, although at times with Ethan, it seems like he wasn't uh, <laughs> part of the film from time to time. He... Um Here's the thing. I will say this. The the actors, the familiar faces, did a decent job for the most part. Uh, and a lot of it is because they are trained slash veteran actors. Um, so that's a big part of it. Um, 
Jason Bear and Amanda Brooks, I thought did an, a decent job, but they weren't as good as those familiar Hollywood mm. faces. Um, Bear, I thought, though, was the worst between him and Amanda Brooks, and I hate to say that, but – and. And I don't know if he just wasn't coached all that well or what the deal was, um, but I thought his character was stone-faced most of the time, meaning that he didn't show a range of emotions or anything like mm-hmm. that. Amanda – and part of it, again, could be because of how her character is written or what have you. She showed, I thought, more range of emotions and all that than Bear did. Bear just more or less just kind of kept your your face-face. Yeah. On. Like there, there wasn't much in the way uh, of any emotional versatility there throughout much of this film from him, mm-hmm. I thought. Yeah, and uh, both of those uh, main stars there, they they don't have a whole lot of uh, filmography from what I'm seeing as far as Amanda Brooks. No. Uh, she hasn't really appeared in featured films since 2013, which was The Canyons. But although she has made – quite a few appearances in TV shows and the last appearance was in uh, Castle Rock as a psychiatrist back in 2018 and then as far as uh, Jason Bear he uh, hasn't really appeared in any feature film since 2008 a year after D-War but uh, he appeared in uh, three more films after that, but um, he did at least uh, most recently make an appearance in Roswell, New Mexico TV show here as Trip in season two here. Because he probably was tripping. <laughs> uh, T-R-I-P-P. <laughs> so. <laughs> you know, I knew it was T-R-I-P-P, but Sure, still. sure you did. <laughs> <laughs> I will have to say, though, that the characterizations, though, overall are pretty they're, – they're bare bones. Um, we aren't given much for our characters with the exception – I would argue Harem and Naren, the two characters that only appear in like 15 minutes of the film in a flashback of a flashback, mm-hmm. uh, I thought were better fleshed out than – our main characters, I thought. And like I said, they're only in the movie for a sliver of the time, all things considered. And I felt more connected to those characters than I did the the, the um, main characters. Yeah, and I was just going to say that as far as the um, Korean actors and actresses that were in those flashbacks, I think they did, I would say, a better job, to say the least, as far as uh, Hyun Jin as harem and uh hyojin bon as a uh, i think they did a pretty good job oh absolutely and again like i said earlier that's the film i would rather see because within that 15 minute flashback of a flashback and i'm going to keep saying that because again like i said I, that that means your movie's in trouble i actually that. i um, actually probably would have done this in a two-part film it's like do the flash do those flashback things first and then do this present thing as the second part yeah like you could have f- fixed that flashback of a flashback by doing and i think this is what you're saying is by starting the movie off with feudal korea and that part of the story with maybe some narration or what have you um or even have it as 
sort of a mini movie of sorts within the larger film. Then you spend maybe another five, ten minutes with Ethan as a child in the antique shop discovering this medallion, having Jack sort of tell him briefly uh, what it what it's all about. And then you get on with the movie because – and I'm just going to go ahead and say this, and I think uh, unfortunately this may sort of spoil kind of where I stand a little bit on this film, is that there's not much of an actual story – for much of this film, there really isn't. It's basically one giant chase scene without much substance and material otherwise. Most other movies, yes, in a general sense, have some sort of chase movies like Terminator, for mm. example, uh, is sort of like that. However, there are character moments. There are other story elements that help unravel the story and any mysteries that are get, within the, the just plot. Maybe a, a little, we don't get that with well, this just, film. I would say I would at least give it credit maybe just a little bit when Sarah and Ethan finally meet up with one another. But uh, I would say most – basically the entire uh, film was basically set up within that uh, flashback and the flashback within the flashback there. Yeah, but I think one way you could have fixed that is the feudal. Mm-hmm story as a part one yeah then a quick few minute deal with ethan in the antique shop and then present Mm -hmm. day because like i said there's not a whole lot of substance there in this actual movie and you could cut out a lot of this and be fine with the overall story it's not gonna hurt the plot whatsoever because there's really in a sense when you pay attention to this film there's really very little there in terms of substance um and it wouldn't damage the film. In fact, I think it would enhance it quite a bit. Either that or you do what I want you to do, and that is you make that feudal Korea story. Because, again, just within a 15-minute, like what, uh, like a like a 20%-ish amount of the film, you have this flashback of the feudal Korea story. And it's told so much. It's actually more interesting. It's more intriguing. You get – Better actors, better characters, and really and, a better story and the, there. And the one unique thing about it too is that I sort of forgot that they had this Lord of the Rings-esque sort of uh, battle going on when that whole entire uh, army for Buraki come up to that whole village yeah. there. And I mean that itself can be possibly like the, the climax part right there of the part one of Dragon Wars. Yeah, uh, there were – in terms of decision-making, in terms of how to tell the story, um, it's not it, – there weren't – there are better decisions to be made that I think are obvious, but for whatever strange reason, that's not the route they mm-hmm. took. Yeah, it's 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 a little bit disappointing on the, the final dis- decisions that they went about with uh, Dragon Wars here. It would have been – Heck of a lot better if they did this in a two-part. Yeah, because when you do flashbacks of a flashback, you are setting yourself up to either confuse some members of your audience, um, and then two, it basically shows some ineptitude slash incompetence on the fact of you trying to tell a coherent cohesive story 
And again, like we just said, we provided at least two examples of how to fix that. There probably are even more that we just haven't mm. thought of, but at least two of those examples are so much better than what we're actually given here with the right. film. So I think – So did you want me to go into my questions or did you want to talk a few uh, about a few other things? Um, I've got one more thing as far as me uh, talking about – about my thoughts on uh, the score for the film. What do you think of the score done by Steve uh, Jablonski? I like it. I mean, I I'm not a huge fan of Jablonski, but I I would consider him part of my. Um, he's good. Like if I had to rank him from exceptional to very good, good, fair, poor in terms of composers, I consider him good. Um, he does a good job at what he does. Uh, the thing is though, his music is not necessarily my cup of tea. Uh, I'm a person that likes to listen to more, uh, when it comes to at least, um, scores, I like to listen to more, uh, rousing marches and themes and that sort of thing. That's not to say I'm against the kind of music he composes. I do think some of that stuff uh, is unique and fun to listen to. Mm -hmm. I just don't listen to that sort of music as often as I do scores that have more marches and, and, and rousing pieces to mm -hmm. them. Yeah, for, just because it's a personal preference. Yeah, for me, I, I really do uh, like what he does overall and I I've listened to I know many years the the Arian uh song that's done here for Dragon Wars and I think a couple other ones from this film but I know I've listened to I would say a lot of his uh, Transformers scores mostly and I've I think I've listened to a couple other ones outside of that but yeah he I would say he's uh probably in my top 10 to say the least as far as the best composers um out there along with uh brian tyler andrew lockington uh so on and so forth mm -hmm. but uh other other than All that right. um shoot your questions there all right, so uh, we'll do one question at a time. This, in a, in a sense, I think will give anybody who has not seen this film uh, more of an idea of some of the problems with this film. But also I think it helps us, you and I, to discuss other things about the film to give it more thoroughness. Because as I watched the film, I realized there were a bunch of questions that didn't make sense. And I understand that with a film like this, sometimes the questions are not going to yield good answers or answer any answer mm -hmm. at all. But I just – it's sort of, again, to let the listener know how on some level flawed this film is. But also I do think it's going to help us with our overall discussion too. So, okay. So first question is, what is the Aatrox army and why in the hell did it somehow disappear into paintings and statues in the antique shop? I don't know. I would just say it's a movie science. <laughs> There's really no explanation exactly. there. In that flashback of a flashback, there I go again. We are not given any background of this Aatrox army. Who are they? Uh, we know what they're after. 
I would I would but say why do they want to destroy their I Earth? would say probably the only thing of who they are is I would say is the army for uh Buraki. Right. But are these lizard people in disguise? Are these demons in human form? We've we don't know anything about them and then in that flashback of a flashback we don't see them disappear. Well, I know like, like when you mentioned about the uh, like the lizard people and stuff, and I I know I've uh, uh, looked at some of that stuff before during my free time and stuff, and like a lot of them, a lot of these people that follow follow this stuff, they'll say that they're shape shifters and everything, and you can uh, see that within the film themselves. So could they be, could, the could they actually be lizard people? Who knows? Cause I mean the, uh, the, uh, the general there, he shapeshifts quite a bit, but then when he goes into his original form, he never takes off his mask. So who is, what does he really right. look like underneath? So, I mean, they could be like the lizard people, but who knows? Yeah. So there's a, Pretty decent yeah. problem right there. <laughs> okay. Second question. Why does Baraki vamp so much, missing out on numerous opportunities to consume Sarah and eventually her life spirit at the end? There are so many moments I lost count of where Baraki had Ethan and Sarah cornered or whatever. Mm-hmm. And he could have just boom, you know, like a snake, boom, snatch her up, been a celestial dragon, and that would have been it. But instead, he gets him cornered or trapped, and then he's just like, ha, ha, ha. Like, he just kind of, like, plays around like or laughs or whatever you want to call it. And then right at the last second, either a helicopter comes in and shoots Baraki and distracts him or whatever, and then Ethan and Sarah escape, or something else happens that – for, uh, give Ethan and Sarah the or opportunity the, uh, the to good escape. Or the comes in and interferes. Yeah, and I mean, I'm okay. I will let you get away with maybe one or two moments like that. But this happens so much in this film. I'm just like, I'm not rooting for Baraki, but I'm like, damn it, Baraki, you had him. Like, <laughs> you had him like <laughs> this many times. Like, yeah. and, and you didn't do anything And about like it. with uh, Sarah's friend there when she gets you know, bitten and everything there within that one scene that he doesn't really make any hesitation there when she runs back after seeing the uh, the general come in and <laughs> gets bitten and then... You want to know why? Because she is just there for body yep. count. <laughs> She's not and the then, main And character. then after that, you don't even uh, see the, uh, the boyfriend that she was with ever again. No. No, you don't. I thought maybe he got stabbed, but I didn't nope. see that. No, all, all you see... I don't know. The last time you see him is when that uh, girl runs back towards that pool where Baraki was, and then she gets mm-hmm. bitten and then tossed or dropped into the pool <laughs> there after Baraki bites her. I thought, I thought that he was going to eat her, but no, it's just drops her so that was that was also a little bit of a, a letdown too because you you would think that you know with animals and stuff like that that they would just snatch it and have something to eat but nope well next question 
Where was the goody moogie during this whole time, and why didn't we get that final battle in L.A. like the poster promised? For some reason, when I sort of thought about Dragon Wars from time to time over the years, I thought that they were – that that was sort of like the main thing. But no, I I totally forgot that the main final battle was Orat Baraki's like – uh, cast or whatever that this thing was located in. And I, I'm sure you'll have a question for that too, but um, I've got yeah, plenty but of questions. <laughs> I, I could have thought that they would have at least had a couple encounters within this film, hence the title Dragon Wars. <laughs> and Yeah, that whole um, the, the, the fact that the Goody Moogie doesn't show up until the very end is confusing and i don't know if ethan's medallion and i got a question about that coming up soon here uh, if that has something to do with it what the hell like where where was it and then second of all sure the battle in la that we got still kind of fun to watch but yeah like the poster and all that and because you want the stakes to be higher, like on the dvd here like this <laughs> Yeah, you want you want there to be stakes. You want people's lives to be at risk. You want real estate damage. Well, you we, want we that. do we do get and we don't get well, we that. do get the uh, the the like real estate uh, destruction and everything. You but it was all it tools. was all on Baraki though. <laughs> well, yeah, and the Aatrox yeah. army. But you would have had more with two dragons mm-hmm. there, or it'd be movies, yeah. I should say. And I thought that the. Uh, uh, Liberty Tower there that was sort of the main um, thing even on this uh, cover on here the cover. which is the tallest building there in, or second tallest building in LA now um, that I thought it would like eventually crumble and then fall down and I thought about it was like that for many years but no <laughs> it was still standing after all that <laughs> My next question has to do with the medallion. What exactly does Ethan's medallion do? That's what I would like to know. And I would say the only thing that it probably had the purpose of was when the general quote-unquote accidentally (laughs) hit the medallion with his sword there and probably uh, triggered the uh, goody moogie to come in. Yeah, but I don't know. Yeah, but it's still first a mystery. First, what we see is when when Ethan is tied up there at the end, and Sarah's on the on the altar to be sacrificed. He somehow yells, and that for whatever reason activates the medallion, and in a very easy fashion, uh, vaporizes yeah. the Aatrox army, and then. <laughs> You know, the medallion's, you know, like maybe this size or something. Can't like really that. see. And, <laughs> oh, like this size. Okay. And, and then, um, during this sword fight, brief sword fight between Ethan and the general, the general, with a medallion that is this size, somehow just by sheer happenstance happens to strike it with the end of his sword and vaporizes himself. And I'm just like, <sighs> I'm all for suspension of disbelief because this is a movie about serpents and dragons, but that right there is crossing the line. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. Other other than that, I really can't think of anything. But although they 
sort of mention about it um, when it comes to the flashback within the or the flashback, the first flashback where Jack mentions about uh, the medallion uh, uh, protecting uh, Harem there or whoever protect or whoever gets protected by that medallion, so to speak. But then again, though, too, and I probably missed that, and and I'm not saying you're wrong. I am right. What if, you're what, wrong. What, <laughs> if, if, if what you're saying is true, okay, we should have had at least one or two more instances of that being shown earlier in the movie. Like maybe have um, either Baraki come close to uh, consuming Ethan and Sarah and like the medallion, like, I don't know, let's say flashes of bright light on Baraki and temporarily blinds it and allows them to get away. Or part of uh, the Atrax army comes and is about ready to capture him, but then the medallion vaporizes a small portion of them and allows – we should have had at least one or two examples of that earlier in the film. And we don't. It's basically a literal piece of jewelry for Ethan to wear up until you know this final uh, this final battle. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Um, my next question, and I have sort of an answer to it, which I think could be partially right. Uh, what is the barren setting at the end of the movie? And what I have down is that I have a feeling it's the Atrax or Atrox Army Headquarters. That could be one thing, but then also the one thing I wanted to point out too earlier is that where the hell is this thing located? I was going to ask you that. (laughs) I was just going to say, where is this? Is this underground? It can't Uh, be underground. like some remote location somewhere? Like where is it? It can't be underground for one thing because you have the sky and everything. Oh, yeah. that's right. Yeah. <laughs> so it. A <laughs> Duh, are you dumb? <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's. They never. Again, they don't even tell you. <laughs> because the, the Aatrox ar- army, for some strange reason, come out of these scrolls and everything. So. It's it's all jumbled. Dumbest thing. <laughs> <laughs> so dumb. All right, moving on. <laughs> you got nothing else to, I'm a, to respond to that? Like I said, like I said, there for some of these there may be no answer, and I have to. I live thought with you that had all the answers. Movie, damn it! Come on. <laughs> if I did. I probably would enjoy this movie more. (laughs) Next question. How was Ethan able to pinpoint the exact quote, Sarah, unquote, he was looking for in the database for the L.A. area? That's what I would like to know, too, because, I mean, they mentioned or at least he mentions uh, to uh, Craig Robinson's uh, character, if I tried uh, Bruce, um, that it's like, oh, I need to find this uh, uh, Sarah and everything, you know, where Jack mentions about her name and everything in that flashback. But um, 
and then Bruce comes up with thousands of uh, different Sarahs that are on this uh, database and everything. Yeah. And then you get this one uh, creeper dude that takes a picture of Sarah when she was over at the, uh, I'm, I'm guessing the LAPD office for Police, uh, yeah. questioning on that whole gang thing after she leaves the bar from her. A small yeah. scuffle that we get yeah. earlier. And he takes a picture of her and then just leaves. And then he comes back, I would say, maybe a few scenes or so later and has her uh, photo on hand. And then Ethan grabs the picture. But I don't even – it doesn't – it shouldn't even – I don't even think it shows, like, the tattoo no, or the sc- tattoo or scar. <laughs> She's yeah. wearing just a regular T-shirt. Yeah. But – but he's there with Bruce in Ethan's yeah. office, in his own office, and he just says, that's her. And that's it. That's all we get. He goes, that's her. Yeah, and I would like to know how he would know that specifically. I mean, it's like I know Jack mentions her name in that flashback to the young Ethan, but he doesn't – I don't even think he really described uh, anything about Sarah or at least a photo because I know Jack uh, beat up all like those the three guys there that were, you know, trying to take advantage of Sarah there outside the bar and everything. Yeah. I mean, you would think after that whole uh, roundabout scuffle there that he would have uh, taken Sarah back to the antique place or something of the sort and then maybe tell Ethan, hey, I found Sarah. <laughs> Jack's an awful protector. That and like <laughs> it just makes it like that he knew who she was, but there wasn't really any evidence pointing to that. <laughs> My next question, and I don't have it written down, I just thought about it. Um, was and this is sort of a two-parter when Sarah sees on the news that a dragon scale has been revealed in the LA area she leaves the gym to go home she looks in this book number one what is that book and number two when Brandy her friend comes to check on her Sarah has all of the these pages from that book plastered all over her living room and says she believes those pages will protect her. What's that book, and why does she think those pages will protect her? Well, with, with uh, Sarah basically being Naren, like this like the second version right. of Naren, I'm guessing like some of the like probably some of those instincts from Naren and stuff probably get triggered in a way. And I'm guessing um, – but the other thing though is that where the hell did Sarah get this book out of nowhere? Um, it's like even though that this is a reincarnation of Naren, like if this was Naren's book – how the fuck did she get it? 
Uh, well, like you said, I was just about to say, where does this book come from? Because nowhere in either the first flashback or the second flashback are we told about any sort of book or magical spells that are used for protection or anything of that sort. This just happens – it's a one and done you know, deal. I think this is probably a good reason why I got some beer <laughs> for this and like two two beers to be exact. I can't even see it because of that background of yours. <laughs> oh damn, you only have one beer. <laughs> so yeah, I mean I've got nothing else. <laughs> Oh, I just saw it here on YouTube. Yeah, somehow this can got camouflaged. I got to, like, put it right here. To- well, I can't even see because you, you're cutting it off there from the camera there. <laughs> Nothing that for <laughs> You just got to bring it up a so, little bit more. So, um, either that or get rid of the background. Get Otherwise, rid of you're just seeing all my books and stuff. Get rid of it. I mean, you're seeing my DVD shelf here of all the movies and figurines and stuff even my kitchen <laughs> i'll do it here in bed we're in the middle of the podcast all right next question you ready <laughs> as ready as ever how come jack didn't do more in the movie especially protecting sarah and helping out with the carnage in la well you could say he somewhat uh protected sarah from that whole scuffle thing but then even uh when sarah questioned that he basically left right after all that <laughs> i was like what the hell yeah. it's like jack should have just taken her back to the antique shop there and protected her there from now on and allowed because he knew Ethan as a young boy and he knew Ethan was eventually going to come and see him he would have had them right there and would have been like alright we're here together let's get everything to the goody well, at least he did uh, have at least a few instances there where he did disguise himself as some of these random people and then after uh, Ethan and Sarah uh, part ways from that quote unquote uh, 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 strange character or out of place character that they transform or transform into Jack there. Yeah, he did more to protect her from three loser football players than he did during the entire assault on L.A. by this Terminator-like army that was not going to stop until they got mm-hmm. her. I mean, it just... Hence the name Sarah. Sarah Connor. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Beats <laughs> Dude, me. It could be some Terminator Beats here. me. <laughs> it just... It boggles my mind because, you know, it just makes no sense. I really have no answer for that. And another question here. Do I have it here? No, I don't. Another question I don't have written down that I just came up with. You know, because the Aatrox army came out from paintings and statues and all that crap from the antique store in which Jack was, uh, you know, basically owned and took care of. Did he know 
that the Aatrox army was there in in those paintings in the and in those statues? And if so, why didn't he do more to either seal them up or to destroy those paintings and statues or whatever to prevent them from ever showing up? You know, again? In, my, in my honest opinion, I think he might have known about that. And then he's an asshole. And if he did, why the hell did he even keep them around? Because they were like. Right in his antique store there to begin with. Right. He should have done something yeah. more. And either that or just fucking burn the shit. <laughs> <laughs> like I said, burn the paintings, destroy the statues. Yeah. Like Now, Jack, is he supposed to be that old sensei mm-hmm. guy from the feudal yeah, Korea? Because, uh, when they go into that flashback with from the other flashback, he rolls up his uh, right arm sleeve and you see that uh, scar where the, the general uh, slashed him. I yep. miss that. And then they do it like I'm... a brief flashback within the flashback. <laughs> I miss that. Hey, um, the background's gone. So then <laughs> – so then... Another question I don't have written down that just popped up. If that was indeed that old sensei. It is. How come in the first flashback at the beginning of the movie and all that, how come we are never told or nothing is sort of implied that outside of Harem and Naren, that this guy's soul also will continue to live on? beats me (laughs) I mean you got me there (laughs) but then too and then then too with the whole spear and everything you know with the very end part of this uh, movie with uh, Sarah becoming a spear and everything it's like what the hell does Ethan do now now that his love the love of his life is now a spirit and then now he's probably going to have to wait till like decades and stuff until he goes into you know that next level being a spirit and everything I have an idea but it's too (laughs) dark so I'm not going to share it (laughs) next question this is sort of something you brought up a bit earlier um why did Brandy and her boyfriend need to die? But you were saying earlier, apparently the boyfriend didn't die. And I thought the boyfriend did because Brandy got killed by Baraki. And I thought the general like took a sword and stabbed. Not from what I've seen. Uh, the it's like he did. He did. Then why were they important? It's like he did. Well, the general, he did sort of unsheathe like the, like the base of that sword. And then you see it come up. And everything, but then, <laughs> but then that's that's the only instance of the last time you see uh, Brandy's uh, boyfriend there. I'm I'm not sure if they he disappears. Yeah, I'm too. not even sure if they even list him on this uh, cast here. They do list uh, Amy Garcia, who plays as Brandy, uh, Sarah's friend here but they don't even mention about the boyfriend but yeah that's that you don't even see the boyfriend being killed besides brandy being bitten by baraki 
So then two sub-questions to this question. Question within a question. <laughs> this two is going to be shit. Question. <laughs> well, this tells you how just fouled up this film is. One is um, the general said – I think he said something to the effect of there you are or, or something like that. So if that is true – if I remember correctly, if he did say something like that, why did he kill them? Were they important somehow? I. And then second of all, even if he knew they were friends of Sarah's, why would he kill them? Wouldn't you think he would maybe hold them hostage so that maybe they could help him locate Sarah more effectively? I, I don't know. I mean uh... – <laughs> I don't even think – I'm not even – I don't even remember him mentioning about like, oh, I found you or something of this sort. He said something, and I forget. I don't know if it was there you are or you're not getting away. He said something. Well, I know him. about him saying about that towards the end when uh, when they were trying to have Sarah sacrifice on that table there over at – I'm guessing their headquarters and everything, but I don't remember him saying something like that earlier. He did to Brandy and her boyfriend. Well, I didn't even catch it, so. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> Damn it. <laughs> All right, next question. <laughs> Roll out. <laughs> How did the military know that Sarah and Ethan were going to the top of the Liberty Building because they had a chopper waiting for them up there. Again, I don't know, <laughs> to say the they least. They didn't collaborate with the military at all? Not even the FBI. Not, not uh, uh, Agent Joda Campbell or anything. And they also uh, – after seeing this for the first time in 13 years, I thought originally that uh, Judah Campbell was uh, Jack, but then as we go in deeper and then actually find out, <laughs> it's like, nope, that's not Jack at all. <laughs> nope. <laughs> I mean, it's like they, they basically built up his character just to try to uh, kill off Sarah in order to you know try not to have all this or try to stop everything that's going on right now and have it you know basically delay for another 500 years so they it's what was his character I would say was his character really that necessary the, I know the answer to that. Me. No. <laughs> oh, me, me. <laughs> well, that answers it. <laughs> Next question. They took the stairs all the way to the top of the Liberty Building. That would take a lot longer than it actually did. And why aren't they winded when they get to the but top? But then the other question is... Why do they go up to that building to begin with, trying to – after they're getting chased by Baraki? There, yeah. <laughs> oh. I mean I, I think there's going to be so many 
questions that after all this, there's going to be even more questions. (laughs) (laughs) If you have a question about the movie, take a drink. (laughs) I'm going to do that right now. Oh, man. There you go. For those who are listening to the audio form, Jason took a drink. (laughs) (laughs) If you heard me there. (laughs) But yeah. All right. Yeah, there's just... I would say in the end, there's just going to be so many other questions left unsaid. Or, yeah. (laughs) Okay, so here's my final question about the actual story in this film that I came Mm -hmm. up with. Baraki sure gets away with a lot of damage with minimal police and military presence throughout much of the movie. Why? I think you know my answer to this one here. Here's this giant serpent. You would think it would come up on radar. Or people would see it and report even, it. Even at be the beginning of the military, all over even the at the beginning of the film too, when it opens up with part of L.A. and ruins there. And right, like what happened? Was that Baraki or was that the good? Regardless, it would have to you be would Baraki, think something yeah. would be reported. Yeah. Well, then, like. You would have had everybody around that area probably killed or destroyed somehow, and then everybody would have been on notice. There's this army slash giant snake running mm. around. Yeah, it, I really don't know. <laughs> There's just now my so final many mysteries question overall. My final question overall is: since there apparently has been a sequel in limbo for roughly four years, do you want a sequel to this movie? I've got a condition. If this if this uh, sequel does actually happen, that if the flashback within a flashback, if they actually make this movie as a prequel to Dragon Wars, then <laughs> do it. Just do it. Just. <laughs> that would be my only condition is if they do the flashback within the flashback for this sequel and make it as a prequel. The feudal, the feudal yeah. Korea. Yeah, I, I was thinking like, yeah, if they did that movie, that movie was so much more. That then, 15 minutes of footage in this film was so much more interesting and you could build a better then, story because, again, what we got in the real film – is a giant chasing with very little substance. Because if they do that, then at least it would make parts of our arguments earlier in this episode, I would say, a little bit more worth it and probably would make uh, the two-parter, I would say, all the worth, all the worthwhile. And I would say it would make everything so much more sense and how everything came to be. It would definitely answer some questions, but it still wouldn't answer mm-hmm. all of them. Um, because, yeah, I mean, because if you did a prequel, it's still not going to answer some of the present day questions involved with Ethan and Sarah just because of the circumstances they were in and, and, and all mm-hmm. that. So, yeah, I, I mean, uh, outside of it being. Um, you know, potentially a prequel and telling that feudal Korea story, which is what I would rather see more than anything else, because I think that would have been a damn good mm-hmm. film, actually. Yeah. Because, like I said, and I've said this millions of times, and the reason why I say it is because I'm so disappointed because there was a 
huge missed opportunity mm-hmm. there because just that 15 minutes of footage you had better actors better characters i cared more about those characters than i did with ethan and sarah and just about everybody else you had more substance to the story it seemed like you had more of the hero's journey very stereotypical or- storytelling and the regular dragon wars film that we got it's such a bare bones mess of a story. I would really. also maybe say that if this if this was going to be a one and done movie and no sequel or prequel for that matter, I would say they should have at least started the movie with uh, feudal Korea at that point. And then sort of build up to the Yanni Thin and then having Jack tell the story and everything to him and then go in the present day. Then everything mm-hmm. – then you wouldn't even have the flashback within the flashback. It's sort of like uh, trying to get everything built up to the present there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and again, that goes back to one of those first points we made that there are at least two ways you could have fixed that, and it would have made everything so much better. Like that alone would have helped the movie. It wouldn't solve everything, mm-hmm. of course, but it would have helped some at least one or two major issues within the film right. and made it more palatable. Mm-hmm. Um, so unless uh, you have anything else you wish to bring up, I figure we go into our final thoughts. Final and thoughts. Rating. Okay, so uh, for anybody who's not aware, we do uh, buy, rent, or pass. Buy obviously means we highly recommend it. Rent means there are some things worthwhile, so it's worth checking out when you get the time, but don't be in a hurry. <laughs> and pass is obviously don't bother with it. Um, you want me to go first? Yeah. Alright, so here we go. Dragon Wars is a significantly more competent movie than 1999's 2001's Yongari. Shim Hyung Rae put together a movie with more competent actors and personnel behind the camera. The result is a movie that is mildly fun but also filled with numerous flaws and shortcomings. As I mentioned earlier, the feudal Korea story, which took up nearly 15 minutes of the first 20 minutes of the movie, was a story I would have rather wanted to see. The actors were better, and the story seemed more intriguing. It also reminded me so much of The Magic Serpent, a movie that I've come to really enjoy over the years. The special effects work is a tremendous step up from the sci-fi channel-esque effects of Yongari. The ending, however, is fairly disappointing. We never did talk about that, actually. Uh, while <laughs> well, you did in the synopsis. Battle, well, yeah, but we didn't do it in our discussion. <laughs> did you enjoy it? Eh. So-so. I sort of enjoyed it, too. <laughs> it was fun, but I would have done it yeah. differently in some respects. While the Amugi dragon battle is fairly entertaining, but the stakes seem moot. The poster showed us dragons battling in L.A., but we get a barren wasteland for the setting of our final confrontation. Not only 
Are the stakes lessened by this, despite the fact that whichever Moogie consumes Sarah's life spirit, but the overall stakes are neutered? We never find out about L.A. afterwards and are to assume the Aatrox army just upped and left L.A. immediately after the capture of Ethan and Sarah. If the point of the Aatrox army feeding Baraki Sarah's life spirit to dominate the world, then why wouldn't part of that army stay back and continue to fight for the city? The movie in its logical and in its in its logic and reasoning is a mess. Characterizations are severely lacking as well. I never come to care much for Ethan or Sarah over the course of a 90-some-odd-minute movie, continuing to make the final battle less interesting. I felt for Harem and Naren in those 15 minutes than I did Ethan and Sarah. The movie starts off promising, but continues to unravel as it progresses, sadly. It's a giant step up from Yonguri and is mildly competent when compared to most other kaiju films, but it doesn't have the heart of many of those other films. With that said, Dragon Wars is better than I had remembered. It is entertaining enough to get you through part of an afternoon, but it's not something to hold in high regard. It's still worth checking out at least once. Rent. Hmm. So, uh, for me, as far as this movie goes, uh, with this being the first time watching it in 13 years since it first came out, um, and seeing it now, I would at least... I know I've mentioned before that I was... Fairly surprised and totally forgot that some of the familiar faces uh, were in this film. And as far as that goes, I think they did a pretty good job uh, for that. Um, and as far as the two protagonists in this film, I think they did pretty decent. But I think the ones that stood out the most, I would say, are uh, the Korean actors. Uh, particularly uh, Hyunjin as Harem or Harem and uh, Hyojin Ban as uh, Naren. I think they did a, a pretty uh, good job in their uh, roles for this film. I think they did better <laughs> than the rest of the cast members listed on here. And as far as the visual effects, uh, with it being uh, 13 years later, I think uh, quite a bit of it has held up pretty, uh, pretty well. Uh, some of them haven't aged too well. Um, but as far as the story and the plot for this movie, it's a mess. <laughs> <laughs> after after all the questions and answers and then more questions <laughs> uh, after our little uh, discussion on this film. And uh, I would say as far as the overall-ness uh, of Dragon Wars, I'd say it's something that you probably don't need to watch a whole lot. It it's to me it's it's a simp it's a simple rent for me it it could almost get close to being a pass 
Yeah, I mean, I, I struggle with that. Like, if you had turned off the movie after the first 20, 30 minutes and told me, what would you rate this movie at this point? I would have said it's a big buy, like because of that flashback. Like I said, the, within the first 20 minutes of the film, you have 15 minutes of that approximately being that flashback. And I would have said this is a buy. Like, this is a movie I would actually try to watch more often. And then as you progress, you become more disappointed and you begin to see more of the cracks within the the finish of, of the film. And then, and as you mentioned too, if if a movie has a flashback within a flashback, that can always be a recipe for disaster. <laughs> You know you are yeah. in trouble because, like I said, that's a simple fix. And then, and then and we, with uh, like, Mr. Again, President Geek, sound like a broken record. We gave two examples. And then with Mr. President it. Geek here, respond: Dragon Wars blog. <laughs> that oh. was me. <laughs> <laughs> I just decided to do something. sure whatever. <laughs> No, seriously, that was me. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it's just it, – it is disappointing because uh, we were promised certain things like on the poster with the dragons. We don't get that. The L.A. assault is still kind of fun to watch still in, in, in some respects. Uh, the effects work, though, is definitely a big step up from Yongari. Um, and it ages pretty decently. I mean, it's not I would say fantastic, even with but the it's, budget that they have, they did a pretty. I would, I would at least give them credit that they at least did a pretty good job. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, and this was um, produced six years after the 2001 edit of Yongari. And you know, we know how terrible yeah. that was, <laughs> you know, on on all fronts. Um, so yeah, it just. Um, it's disappointing. It is a step up, a big step up from that film. And I mean, when I think about it, when compared to other Kaiju Tokusatsu films, especially coming out of Japan more specifically, in some respects, it does certain things better than a few of those films, like the, the digital effects work in many respects. Um, of course, there are some exceptions to that. But other than that, it's just like... It's it's fine. Like, you know, if you don't think about it as you're watching, if you it's literally one of those films where you just got to sit back and not think as you're watching mm -hmm. the film. Uh, because if you start thinking about it like we did, and, and that's part of our job, we try to give as objective uh, of, of a discussion as we can about a film, regardless of whether or not we like the film. Um, you know... It just – when you start thinking about it, you're going to go bonkers like we have during this whole podcast. It's just like there was – there were several opportunities to make this good if not great, and they decided to go meh. You know, and and in some cases, bleh. <laughs> so it just—it's disappointing because uh, Shim Hyung Rae has improved mm. his craft an awful lot just in six years. I mean, yeah, and I was, was I was, I was actually taking a look at his uh, filmography as far as uh, his uh, director post. And his uh, last movie that he has done so far 
is the last grandfather, uh, the last Godfather, which was done three years after Dragon Wars. So he hasn't really done anything since. But they they do have thing a thing listed here as a producer, Dragon War, Mysteries of the Dragon. So that I'm guessing that is the sequel. That's the name of the yep. sequel, yeah. The supposed mm-hmm. sequel. Whether or not we'll see it, time oh, it will says, tell. It's already been about It says years. here in just this uh, couple sentence here, in March 2016, it was announced that the sequel entitled D-War 2 Mysteries of the Dragon would be co-financed with China's H&R Global Pictures. The film's release date is to, to be determined. And it's been four yep. years. <laughs> it doesn't take a movie four years nope. to be made. That 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 tells you there's some problems somewhere, and that's usually more times than not not mm-hmm. a good sign. Well, with that, we thank you so much for listening and or watching us. Um, again, starting uh, – it's not set in stone, but approximately August 22nd, uh, we are going to start Toku Zone. Series for a while. premiere. Woo! Yes. We'll be covering Johnny Sacco and his flying robot. The very first episode, we will do our best uh, through research, obviously, try to find as much information as we can on the production history and all that of Johnny Sacco. And then we're going to get into discussing the first three or four episodes of the show. And then every episode after that will be just episode discussions until we reach the end of the series. And then also some uh, uh, miscellaneous news tidbits on other tokusatsu-related topics, too. Yep. And then uh, before we leave, uh, just want to uh, mention again that we are on these uh, streaming and podcast networks. And um, as far as the streaming networks, obviously – YouTube, Twitch, Facebook Live, Periscope, and uh, DLive. And then as far as podcast networks, uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Play Music, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and TuneIn. And then uh, as far as social networks, uh, you can like and subscribe to us at these uh, following social media websites. Just uh, searching for uh, Daikaiju Network. And you can find us on our website over at DaikaijuNetwork.com. So with that, all right. Thank you so much for listening and or watching, and we will see you in a couple of weeks when we enter the Toku Zone. Bye, everyone. Ooh.